Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Somebody once said, when it comes to faith, what you do demonstrates what you really believe. Today we're going to be talking about faith and fear. And what we fear and in what way we fear it is tied very much to what we believe about who Jesus is and about what our relationship is with with Jesus. Now, you and I, let's just set the scene and let's, let's get something right out front here. We live in a period of history and in a locality where human life is probably about the safest it's ever been anywhere at any time in history. And yet our generation continue to be highly fearful. Uh, Some people today are crippled with phobias, uh, fears, anxieties. Um, There are many in our community and maybe even here today who are afraid and anxious. Uh, Sometimes we're afraid for a good reason and sometimes we're afraid for no reason at all. Now, as Robin said before with the kids story, sometimes it is right for us to be afraid at times. Uh, So for instance, the other morning, I was out on a bike ride and um, there was a fair old headwind. So I I was tucked down, had my head down and I was pushing hard. And and when I'm in that position, when my head's down and pushing hard out on our roads out here, there's not really much traffic. I'll hear a road train coming if it's coming. And, and you don't really realise, but you're only looking a few metres in front of you. You're not looking very far ahead. And all of a sudden, into my field of view came, came the thing that scares Robin most. Uh, there was this dirty, great big brown, brown snake r- laying right across where I was about to go. And he's only a few metres in front of me. Um, this snake... Roy had probably knows the types better, but he had this really dark head. To me, it looked like an inland taipan, but I don't think we're supposed to have those here. But all of a sudden, like I got such a fright, right? All of a sudden, I've got this potential of being tangled up on my push bike with a snake. And that's the last thing that I want. And I just automatically swerved real hard. And I think I just, yeah, well, I did. I just got around him um, rather than going over him. Now, I actually, as that all happened and unfolded, I was, I was going pretty hard and I was pretty puffed. But all of a sudden, I got a shot of adrenaline and I, and I just realised then what, what adrenaline does for you. I wasn't tired anymore. I thought I might as well make use of this, so I went harder still on the pushbike. Um, but we have built into this, this mechanism of fear. And it's for a good reason. It's for life preservation. But sometimes we're afraid for no reason at all. Now, I've never been a great horseman. 
Um, I wasn't brought up with horses. On our farm, we did all our mustering, all our stock work on motorbikes. But when I was 18, all of a sudden, I had to teach myself to ride a horse uh, because my sister, she always wanted a horse and Dad never bought her one. Uh, but when she got old enough to start work, guess what? She saved up and bought herself a horse. But she couldn't ride either. And this horse that she bought had a bit too much sting, sting in it for her and she was a bit timid. So I thought, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to learn to ride a horse so that I can take the sting out of it first and then give it to, to her to ride. And so that's what I did. And I used to take it mustering occasionally as well. But I was always amazed at an equine reaction to the unexpected. So for us, something will happen to startle us and we go, oh, what was that? Oh, oh, I better run away from that, that's scary. Whereas a horse, something will happen unexpected behind, beside it, like a bird might fly up out of the grass and it'll instantly take three sideways steps and sometimes leave me <laughs> where it came from, but it'd instantly take three sideways steps and then it'd turn its head and have a look, what was that? Oh, that's what I was afraid of. Sometimes we get really scared. We're like that horse. We get afraid of something where there's no good reason to be afraid of it. Now, if I was to attempt to address the topic of unreasonable fears um, or the condition of clinical anxiety today from a psychological standpoint, honestly, I would... I wouldn't know what I was talking about. Um, I've been trained in agriculture, I'm a farmer, I'm not a psychologist. And I reckon if I tried to, convince, tried to convince someone today that they've got nothing to be afraid of, um, they would most likely take the view that, well, Michael, unless you've lived in my shoes, you have no idea how I feel. And I accept that. And so today, I'm not gonna try and convince anyone to not be afraid. And I'm not going to simply tell you not to be anxious for no reason. I'm not a psychologist. I'm a preacher of the gospel. And my job today is to make Jesus known. And through these seven verses today, Mark reveals to us the power of the real Jesus. And when we truly know the real Jesus, and when we truly know who the real Jesus is, Let's just see what our fears and our, and, our uh, and our anxieties do. Righto. Now, when I used to run a youth group, uh, we used to sometimes take the Saunders Armstrong barge out on the river with the youth group at night, and we'd have a barbecue on the river, and we'd do a bit of swimming in the dark, and we'd turn all the lights off, and I'd do a devotion. And then we'd get home, and Jake would say, Dad, you did that same devotion the last year. And I go, no, 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 I did it the year before. And he said, yes, you did it the year before as well. And the year before that. And the year before that. You, you do that same devotion every time we do this. Is that how that discussion went, Jake? Something like that. Yeah. Now, the first couple of times I honestly forgot that I'd done it before. But it just seemed to fit. Being out on the water in the still of the night, in the dark, to be able to just tell that story about the disciples and Jesus out in the boat and, and, and having the waves crashing and then Jesus just calming the storm. So that's the passage we're going to be studying today. Now at this point in the Gospel of Mark, 
we're actually going to see a bit of a change in the direction of Jesus's mission. And to us, it mightn't seem like a big deal. Jesus just says to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And to us, we go, well, so what? But you know what's on the other side of the lake? The enemy is on the other side of the lake. Up until this point, Jesus's ministry has been to the Jews, right? It's been to his own people. He's been to the south, to the Bible Belt, and that's where Jesus was baptised. But most of his ministry was up in the north, in the rural and fishing areas of Galilee. But when Jesus crosses the lake, that's going into Gentile territory. And so this is a very different mission for Jesus, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he leaves the crowds on the shoreline and they started off heading across in a boat. And Mark tells us here also that there were other boats with him, right? So it wasn't just Jesus and the disciples in a boat. There was a flotilla, right? So a bunch of other boats there with them as well. And verse 37 says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Can you imagine this? Now, Jesus' disciples, we've got to remember that some of these blokes were seasoned professional fishermen. These were blokes who knew the sea. And they believed that their lives were in peril. And there was Jesus asleep in the back of the boat. And they woke him and said to them, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, let me translate that into Australian for you. Jesus, wake up! We're going to die! Right? This is pretty much how it unfolds. Jesus is there asleep and everybody else is terrified. That wasn't too loud for Sammy, was it? Notice I stepped back from the mic. Yeah. And so Jesus woke up and he roused on the wind and the sea. Can you imagine this? Jesus just getting up and going, you, wind there, stop that ruckus. Shut up. And you, waves, stop that silly nonsense. And they just stop, just like that. Instant calm. Can you imagine that? Remember we said before about the word awesome? You'd probably look at Jesus and go, awesome. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you might be reminded a little bit of the story of Jonah. But when we compare the story of Jonah with what happened on the lake, we've actually got a story of opposites. Like Jesus, God was sending Jonah on a mission to the enemy. Unlike Jesus, Jonah was disobedient. So Jesus got on a boat to go to the enemy in obedience to God. Jonah got on a boat to run away from his mission. In fact, he went in the opposite direction. Jesus and Jonah were both asleep in a boat. Uh, only Jonah was on a much bigger boat. He was in the inner bowels of a ship. But Jesus was asleep in the stern of a small open fishing boat. With the story of Jonah, the cause of the storm was his disobedience to God. And as soon as Jonah gets thrown overboard, the storm stops. God sends a big fish to swallow Jonah and takes him to Nineveh. And so the story, in the story of Jonah, God controls nature 
and the disobedient prophet Jonah is subject to God's control of nature. But with the lake incident, Jesus is being obedient to God and it's not because of disobedience that the storm comes up. In fact, the storm could be a barrier to Jesus's mission. And it is Jesus himself who rouses on the storm and it instantly stops. And so Jesus is the one who has power to control nature. And the disciples were amazed. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so with the story of Jonah, the sailors who didn't know God, uh, when they saw the sea stop its raging, they feared the Lord. Who's the Lord? That's Yahweh. So they feared Yahweh exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. With the lake incident, the disciples feared Jesus. You see, what did the lake incident reveal about who Jesus is? Who's the only one who can control nature? Who's the only one who can calm the wind and calm the storm? God. And God alone. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's only God who can control the weather? Well, you're in the minority today. In our, in our current political climate, it seems almost daily, we're being forced to decide whether we're believers in climate change or whether we're a climate change denier. And my, what a crime that is. Could there be anything worse? But the real issue is not about climate change, but about who has the ability to control the weather in the first place. The climate has always been changing. It changes from year to year. It changes in cycles of, of decades and centuries and millennia. The issue that we're being asked to believe is if humans take actions now, we can be the changes of climate. We hear it every time that there's a cyclone or, or every time a weather record is broken, the claim always seems to get made, we need to take action now so that we can fix this or else this is going to happen over and over again. Now, from a godly perspective, surely this has to be the height of human arrogance to believe that we can change the weather. Yes, it, it is certainly important that we humans should be good stewards of the resources that God has given us. And our generation, let's be honest here, our generation is probably burning a lot more fossil fuels than what is our share. But to believe that we have the power to change the weather, to believe that we have the power to change sea levels, really? Are we that arrogant? In the book of Job, God very clearly puts this into his perspective and he very clearly shows us whose domain this is. In Job chapter 38, he's talking about sea levels and God says, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, 
Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Who do you think's in control of sea levels? God is. What about other weather events? Still in Job, reading from verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel? for the torrents of rain and away for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become like stone. And What's God telling us about who controls the, the weather? Frozen. God does. It's the height of human arrogance to claim that humans can control the weather. But there was one human who did. The Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that reveal to us about who Jesus is? He's God. Now, out on the lake, the disciples displayed two types of fear. In the Greek, the first fear was diloi. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And that sort of fear, this delos fear, is cowardly fear. It's timid fear. It's shaking in our boots. It's being really scared of something. But after Jesus had calmed the waves with just a few words, they had a different type of fear. It was the phobos fear. Now, phobos means terror, alarm, fright, but it also means reverence, respect, awe. Now, as I said before, as seasoned fishermen and men who knew the sea, they knew that their lives were in peril. And normally in such a circumstance, it would be quite appropriate for them to have the fear that they were about to die. You would agree that would normally be an appropriate fear to have. But because Jesus was with them, that was the wrong sort of fear for them to have. You see, they were afraid that they were about to die because they had no faith. They had come to the end of their own skills They'd come to the end of their own ability to save themselves from the sea through seamanship. And they didn't really know what they were going to do. And they didn't really know who Jesus really was. They didn't know that they had the Son of God on board. They didn't know that they had the creator of the earth on board. They didn't know that they had the one who controls the weather right there in the boat with them. But when Jesus did his thing, all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they no longer had this cowardly fear. They no longer had timid fear. They had abject terror of reverence, respect and awe. 
that comes only when we encounter the one true living God. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's what they asked. But I reckon they knew exactly who it was. Because it's only the Lord God Almighty who the wind and the sea obey. Now I want to bring us back to the opening statement I made. When it comes to faith, what we do demonstrates what we really believe. Now what sort of Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in Jesus who's a mate, a friend? Or do you believe in a Jesus who is the almighty, powerful creator God? When it comes to faith, what we do, how we behave, demonstrates what we really believe. In Romans 8, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, on what does Paul base such a conclusion? He bases bases it on the fact that for disciples of Jesus... God doesn't only love us, but God is with us. And God holds us in the palm of his hand. Just as surely as Jesus was with his disciples in that boat on that lake, Jesus is with his disciples today. Now, does that mean that we will not fall victim to injury, sickness or death? Does that mean that we won't be subject to accident or random incident or directed attack? No, that's not at all what it means. Remember, Paul said in, when he was talking about things there, he says, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are recognised as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Christians are in fact often targeted simply for being Christians. But when we really know who Jesus is, that doesn't matter. A worldly perspective is the source of fear and anxiety. And it puts personal safety as our greatest concern. We see it as our right to do everything that we can to extend our lives for as long as we possibly possibly can because the worldly perspective only sees this earthly, worldly life. And that's all that matters to us. A worldly perspective is the source of fear and anxiety. But when we really know who Jesus is, 
all that doesn't matter so much. Why? Becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple, is actually where we give our lives to Jesus. We don't have a life to be afraid about anymore because we've given it to Jesus. Jesus is in control of my life, not me. Jesus is in control of your life, not you. We belong to Jesus. And if we know that God is with us in life, and if we know that we are with God in death, what is there to fear? We only fear when we're living for this world. When you're living for eternity, there is absolutely nothing to fear. Now, I don't know if it's the most common command in the Bible or whether it's just one of the most common commands. I didn't go through and count them up. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. It just keeps getting said over and over and over again. Those commands keep coming. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. For people of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no reason to fear. There is no reason for anxieties. We cast all our anxieties on him. Now, of course, we all know that, that there's circumstances beyond our control. But how we respond to those circumstances demonstrates what we really believe about Jesus. And our response is a product of our relationship with Jesus. Right? I can't give this same message to people of the world. They've got a very good reason to be afraid. Right? So let me be really clear. If I haven't given my life to Jesus, if I'm not a disciple of Jesus, I have a very good reason to be afraid. But for those who are walking with the Lord, he's got this. No matter what circumstance you come up against, you can just go, Jesus has got this. He's got this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to praise you because you are the Lord God Almighty. We praise you because you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are all-powerful. You are almighty. And yet, you love us. How can we be afraid when we belong to you? You bought us with, the, with your most precious blood. You bought us. You redeemed us. You own us. Why would we fear? Lord, sometimes we're like those disciples in that boat and we lack faith. 
Lord, we ask that you would just build our faith and build our faith. Help us to get to know you more and more. Lord, sometimes we don't think enough upon your power and might. And so when things start happening, we, we do get a bit afraid. And Lord, there, there may be people listening to this today who have a very real crippling fear that just keeps coming to them in their life. And Lord, I pray for all these people. Lord, that, that you would just turn them to your eternal perspective. And for each one of us, Lord, help us to just live for eternity. That nothing in this life is... is a danger to us because we're in the palm of your hand and you've got this. Lord, give us the faith that whenever we begin to fear for us to just turn towards your face and to be able to just say, Jesus, you've got this. I don't have to worry about it because you've got this. Increase our faith, Lord. Amen.